we're using this slogan, One Church, Two Locations, because in two weeks, we will have our third soft launch. City Church will actually have a 8.30 service here, and then we will have the 10.30 service, 10.30 service, which will be the 10 o'clock and the 11.30 service combined at Millennium Middle School. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you today in this area of faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. We've endeavored to do something that in our own strength, and our own power, and our own ability as a church and as a congregation literally would be impossible. But we believe that God is the God who makes the impossible possible to those who believe. We've endeavored to raise $135,000 in the next year by, by the people of God faithfully giving, by praying, by sacrificing. And the reason that we're doing this is because we believe that we have a mandate from God to bring his love to the community. I want to give you some reasons why we're doing this. Why are we doing the multi-site campus? Why are we going to be one church in two locations? The first reason, it's really practical. It increases our capacity to, at optimum service time to have more people worship Jesus with us together. That's the bottom line. The Millennial Middle School seats over 500 people. This auditorium seats 180 people. Last week, we had almost 500 people. We're just short of 500 people between our three services. We, as a church, we've seen this happen over and over again. We'll get up to this level, 400, 500 people. But for us to really expand and have the great impact that God has called us to have as a regional church in this city, we're limited on this campus. We're three acres. We're an auditorium that seats 180 people. We're over 80% capacity this morning in our second service. So it's going to give us an opportunity to reach more people for Christ. The second thing is, is that City Church is landlocked. I mentioned we have three acres. There, are, there is property that's completely surrounding this church, but it is designated wetlands. So of all the property, there's literally, I don't know, maybe 50, 100, there's lots and lots of property that surrounds us, but none of it is buildable. And so we have three acres, and this building was built in 1959. We've talked to the city about trying to add another building on this campus, and if we try to add anything on this campus... It would immediately change the easements and the, the parking and everything we do now at Grandfathered End because this campus was built in 1959. So this campus, by doing this multi-site campus, it enables us to kind of break through that landlocked area. The second thing that it does is it enables us to tap into talent, to talent, and give people a new opportunity to start a brand new church. How many of you have ever been part of a brand new church? In other words, you were there like the first week or the second week. How many people have ever been part? Okay, awesome. All right, so there's about, out of this room, there's probably about 10 people that have been part of a church that started brand new. These are called church plants. God, God has purposed in his heart from the beginning of the world that churches that are healthy reproduce churches. And we call this church planting. My wife and I have been honored. We've been privileged to serve the Lord. We have started two churches completely from scratch. We have went into communities. We went into places where there wasn't a facility, there wasn't a building, there weren't people. And we started worshiping Jesus and inviting people to Christ. And we've seen God do some incredible things. There are many of you that will be part of a church plant. It will give us a greater opportunity to make a bigger impact for God in our city. It's going to improve our stewardship. For about 4500 rent payment, for about $4,500 a month at the school, somewhere around there, we'll be able to have an auditorium and, and a facility when, with one service that will be able to run between six and 700 people. Today, if we were to try to build a facility, 
that could house six to 700 people. It would cost us millions and millions. And I wouldn't just be talking about money for one or two weeks. We would be talking about money every week. All, we'd be meeting in your homes and having potlucks and dinners and all kinds of things. So this is really probably the, 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 the least painful way for us to expand and have a greater impact in this city. It models, it equips. There are people that come to our church that feel like they're called to be pastors and they're called to be church planners. And we're modeling and we're equipping people who feel that call to be able to go out and to do that someday. And then finally, it just creates a whole new leadership life, uh, a whole new leadership wing. There are people who are going to step up. There are going to be people that are getting new opportunities. They're going to create new worship teams, new children's ministries. I mean, it, it's just going to be a greater opportunity for us to be able to multiply the gift that God has given us here at Sanctuary. So I, I wanted to encourage you this morning. I want you to take that with you. On October 16th, we're going to be receiving a special offering. We'll be doing it at this campus and at the 1030 service at Millennium. And uh, we're just going to believe that God is going to put something in your heart to do something significant to make a difference in your generation. And then I do want to mention quickly our mega prayer and praise this Wednesday night for all the adults. The children's ministry and the youth ministry will be as normal. But our mega prayer and praise, where we gather together, our adults will be in the round. We're going to have time of worship and praise. I would encourage you, don't miss that. And then today, immediately following the third service, our stages are going to have a time of hymn and sing and fellowship, and you won't want to miss that. Well, stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word. I want you, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. said a lot of words. <laughs> this morning, on the very front row, there is a very special couple to my wife and I. Back in 1989, when my wife and I were involved in a church plant in the inner city of Seattle, this couple, Ray and Sandy Jones, they, I can tell you this, honestly, this is not made up, you were the, I felt like the only people that actually believed in my wife and I. And uh, Pastor Ray has been on my team He's been an encourager. He has the gift for Barnabas. He believed in me. He encouraged me. He actually sent his daughter to come down into the inner city. She was a beautiful, blonde-haired little girl. She sent her down into the inner city to minister with us. I remember being with Sandy, shooting video down in the inner city. And, and I just want to say thanks. I want to th say thanks for your years of support and love. And they're on vacation. We took a little vacation, took a little cruise over to the islands. And, we're here for one day today, but can we just welcome them and give them a great big hand this morning? I love you. Thank you. Amen. Great job. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. The theme this morning is the word. Everyone say the word. We're going to begin with verse number 18. We're going to look at two. Everyone say two. Two passages of scripture. We're going to look at Matthew 13, verse 18. And then we're going to look at Acts, the book of Acts. It's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 6 verse number 7. But let's begin with Matthew 13, verse number 18. And the Bible says, listen to them, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. This is Jesus speaking in my Bible. It's in red letters. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who has received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. 
But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble, persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word. Everyone say, hear. Hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. I want you to turn now to the Gospel of Acts. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Acts, Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verse number 7 this morning. This is the fruit of the seed of the word that was sown into the hearts of these 12 men. This is the seed. This is the result. This is the fruit of what Jesus sowed into their heart. Verse number 7. And the Bible says, so the word of God spread. Let's just say that together. The word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray in these next few moments, I pray that your spirit that's already at work, Lord, I thank you that you were here today in our time of worship. And Lord, we worship you with all of our heart, soul, and strength, and you were pleased. And Lord, I thank you today that you've gathered together a group of people who love you with all of their heart. I thank you that you have given City Church the key to this city, Lord, through our worship and through our praise, to, to make us the people that you've created us to be. And Father, we thank you that your word is alive and real and true, and you are going to accomplish today what only you can do. I ask once again, Father, that by the amazing grace of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that every heart and every spiritual eye would be open today. In Jesus' wonderful and mighty name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Everyone say big idea. We're going we're to read the big idea together. I want you to hear this today. I want you to get this into your spirit this morning. All right, thanks, Tom. The way of God, let's read it together. The, way, the word of God read, practiced, and spoken has the power to transform our hearts and our city. Let's try it one more time. The word of God read, practiced, and spoken has the power to transform our hearts and our city. The word of God. The word of God. I want to talk to you this morning about the word of God. The word of God in the scriptures, in the in the scriptures, simply is declared as being God's word. It's declared as being infallible. Over 3,000 times in the scripture, the Bible says something like this. Thus saith the Lord, it is written, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. The word of the Lord came to Malachi. Over 3,000 times in the scripture, those kinds of phrases are used that simply declares the infallibility of the scriptures, the unity of the scriptures, the message of the scriptures. Over 1,600 years, this Bible was written by prophets, priests, kings, farmers, shepherds, fishermen, teachers. It's poetry, prose, prophecy, personal stories, and practical teachings and the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ 
are all in unity on this grand theme, the love of God and the restoration of his people. The love of God, that God loves people. There are over 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. And over 2,000 of those prophecies have been fulfilled. This week I was studying prophecy concerning the nation of Israel. And it's fascinating to me that this little tiny country that's about the size of New Jersey has all the geopolitics of the whole world spinning around it. People wondering if they should even exist as a nation or if they should be two nations. And, and the things that people say about the nation of Israel, so many people are confused about God's purpose and plan. The fact is God made a promise to them over 4,000 years ago through a man by the name of Abraham. And God said that through them, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And you see, in the last 60 years, the fulfillment of prophecy of Israel coming back together to be a people. You see the prosperity of the nation. You see the end gathering of Jews literally from all over the world. All these things were prophesied by the prophets of old. The Bible is indestructible. The word of God is indestructible. It's been forbidden, burned, and banned. But it's still the number one best-selling book in the world. The skeptics and the critics of the Bible must confess that no other book in human history has had a greater impact on mankind and the nations of the world than the Bible. Men have had, tried to destroy it, keep it hidden from others, mock it, joke about it, and basically try to ignore it. But it has stood the test of time. Today, it speaks to our generation, a generation that is passionate to know the God who made them and desires to reveal His plan for their lives. You go to work, you have friends, you have neighbors, family members. They have all kinds of opinions and ideas about the Bible. I actually called someone this week and I said, what do your friends say about the Bible? What do they actually say? Well, some of my friends say, you know, it's kind of a book of good stories. Some people say that it's a, a book of fables. Some people say that it's a book that has errors. You know, people say lots of things about the Bible. But what most people say about the Bible comes from complete ignorance. They've never studied the Bible for themselves. They're just parroting or repeating what other people have said. Many people just tend to go along with the popular delusion that the Bible is full of mistakes and has no relevance for them in their day to day. I want you to know this morning. I want you to know this morning. The Bible, the Bible has the power to change human lives. We are here today as a result of the power of the changed life because of God's Word. See, the testimony of the Word of God is that when it's declared, when it's read, when it's practiced, it changes the human heart. It changes you from this kind of person into this kind of person. Millions of people throughout planet Earth have experienced the power of the changed life because of the Word of God. You see, this word, this Bible, has one single purpose, and that is to reveal the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, for all of mankind. You know, people have said lots of things about the Bible. One of my favorite quotes is by a guy by the name of Mark Twain. He was a humorist from another generation. He said something like this. I actually have it up there. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Think about that. 
Leonard Ravenhill, a prophet from a previous generation, said, one of these days, some simple soul will pick up the book of God, read it, believe it, and the rest of us will be embarrassed. D.L. Moody said this, if you have your Bible, you ought to get your Bible out and write this quote because this one will stay with you the rest of your life. D.L. Moody said this about the Bible. This book is the only book that will keep you from sin. And sin is the only thing that will keep you from this book. This book is the only thing that will keep you from sin. And sin is the only thing that will keep you from God's word. My big idea today, the word of God read practiced and spoken has the power to transform our hearts and our city it is the key the people of god who are passionate about his word and love with the god of the word who's revealed himself through jesus will bring transformation to hearts and lives of men women boys and girls someone said amen david said this about the word i love what david said david said oh how i love your word I meditate it, meditate on it day and night. Oh, how I love your word. That's the challenge today. The challenge to you and I. The reality of it. The relevance of it. The revelation of the word of God. Andrew Womack said this about the word. He said, a true revelation of God's word is the single most important element of the victorious Christian life. Revelation, getting a revelation. You need healing in your physical body. This morning we took communion. Pastor Glenn talked about the cup and he talked about the bread. In between the first and second service, we were talking about the elements and what they actually meant. And he was asking me, was my theology correct? And I said, yes. I said, but there's even a deeper revelation when you understand the power of the blood. That in the atonement of Christ, the blood of Christ, everything you have need of is provided. Healing is provided for in the atonement. Changed life is provided for in the atonement. The renewing of the mind is provided for in the atonement. The blessings of God, everything came through the blood of Jesus. Because listen to me, listen to me today. Life is in the blood. And there was a great exchange that took place on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. The great exchange was this, is that he traded his royal blood. He traded his blood for your blood. Now you are no longer sons of the earth. You are no longer sons of the devil. You are now sons of God because of this great exchange. Someone said amen. But you can only receive that by revelation. You struggle in your finances. So many believers struggle, frustrated, unbelief, doubt. Look what they don't have. Complain about where they're at. And God says, believe. I am the God who will supply all your need according to my riches and glory. You see, there is a place in God that comes by revelation. No matter what it is, no matter what the truth is, you have an issue with overeating. You have an issue with overeating. Oh, that's, no, that's, you know, that's for someone else. Listen, we have all kinds of sins and hang-ups and things that keep us back from living the fullness of God's blessed life. But the only way those things ever change is that they come by revelation. God reveals them to us through His Word. When I was 
19 years of age, 19 years of age, I lived with a man and his, and his son who was my best friend. We lived in a house, and he had a little piano in the house. This was a Bible that my grandparents gave to me on June 5th, 1976. This Bible has my name inscribed to the front. It says, uh, to Junior Smith, that was my name, to Junior Smith Love, Grandma and Grandpa. Uh, and they gave this Bible to me. I had this Bible from the time I was 13 years of age, and at the age of 19, I went to live with this particular man and his son, and, and he had a grand, like a piano, like an old upright grand piano in his house, and I was unpacking my stuff as I was moving into the house. I took this, this Bible, and for some reason, I set it up on top of the piano. Never thought much about it. I was unpacking the rest of the stuff, and one of my sisters for a birthday present that year, the year before, had given me one of these little toy snakes that you buy in Mexico. And it was one of those ones, you know, you kind of do this with it, like you're biting somebody, you know. And, and I took that snake, and I set that snake right on top of this Bible. That snake sitting on top of my Bible was exactly what was happening in the reality of my life. Because at that age of my life, I was far from God. There was nothing in me that wanted God. I didn't serve God. I didn't love God. I sure didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. But the word of God had been stolen by Satan. The seed that had been in my life, it was a visual image. I had no idea when I did that. Nothing in my subconscious. I had no thought about it. It was just something that I did. Never even crossed my mind. And when I gave my life to Christ two years later, that particular scene, because that Bible sat on that piano for over a year, that particular scene was played back in the man who I had lived with because he didn't know God. And we were talking about the power of the changed life and what Christ had did in me. And as we were talking about it, we went back to that particular situation. He remembered that specifically, and he had nothing to say but spooky, weird. What had happened? You see, the word of God is like a seed. Everyone say seed. Jesus said the word, the word of God. The farmer took the seed and he went out and he sowed the seed. You can fill in your first little blank there. The first one is seed. It's that little paper there. You can fill your blank in. That's good. Thanks, Paul. The word of God is like a seed. Third service is going to get real messy up here. We're still going to try to keep it clean for the second service. Seeds. There's something powerful about seed. You can take these seeds. I don't know if these seeds would ever grow or if they're just bird seeds and that's, I don't know what, I don't know what they've done to these seeds, but this seed potentially has the power to become a safflower. Safflower. This seed was created by God. Everything. 44 times in the New Testament, the word spermino is used. The word sperm in reference to seed is used in the New Testament. Everything created comes from a seed. Everything. And the seed that's been created produces after its own kind. It has a predetermined destiny. It has a predetermined course of action. This seed, this seed laid upon this table with a thousand other seeds laid on top of this table can sit here until this building falls to the ground and nothing will ever happen to that seed. Nothing. That seed will just sit there on that table. Dust might grow, maybe enough dust grows on over a million years, but this seed just left on this table will become nothing. 
they'll just, I guess, eventually break down and become dead. But you take this same seed, this mysterious seed. I wouldn't know what this seed was unless it said on the back. If you place it into the soil, you place this seed into the soil. And then a farmer comes along and puts water on top, gives it some nutrients, and all of a sudden this seed will grow. That's exactly what the Word of God does in our life. It's the seed. Isaiah 55, verse 11 and 12 says that my word has gone forth from my mouth and has gone forth like a seed. And it will accomplish that which I have sent it forth to accomplish. God's word will accomplish in your heart, in your life, what it was predestined, predetermined to do. If you take this seed and you allow it to go into your heart, but it must go into your spirit. I want you to know today the key to this city is that there are a group of people who believe in the power of this seed to go into their heart and change not only their heart, but the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl in their city. And someone said, Amen. Amen. Seeds this morning, seeds have the potential to produce a great harvest. The next thing that the Bible says that the Word of God is like, it's like a hammer. Now, this is kind of an ugly hammer and kind of like my old Bible up here. I got, so I got a really pretty Bible. That's what I used to read out of on Sunday morning. And then I got old Bible. I got actually one in there that's real tore up because it was in my car. I used it for many years all through Bible college. It's looking pretty ugly, but it's still powerful. It's still powerful. I want you to think about hammers. Hammers have a predetermined purpose. Their creator made them to do something. The prophet says that our hearts... Our hearts are covered over with stony ground. Jeremiah declares that the word of God is like a hammer. Everyone say hammer. It doesn't matter what the hammer looks like. It doesn't matter the person that's preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter the person what the person looks like who's declaring the word of God. But when the word of God is boldly declared, it becomes powerful like a hammer. Think of hammers in human history. Think of Noah in the very beginning of time. There was a man who took a hammer and he built an archiarchy and he put a bunch of animals in it, but he saved his family. His family was saved. Salvation came to his household because he used the hammer. In the book of Exodus, there's a story about the children of Israel. The Bible says that the children of Israel, they were wandering around in the wilderness and they begin to complain about their circumstances. They could begin to complain about how hard life was. They begin to complain and God got frustrated with their complaining and he allowed the serpent to come. It actually says because they complained, they were destroyed. Ooh, wait a second. Ooh, that's, is that in the Bible? That's why I don't read that book, right? Is that, because they complained. But they needed a deliverer, and Moses took a hammer, some kind of probably ball-peen hammer, and he took a sheet of metal, and he took that metal over that anvil, and he began to beat that metal, and he created a snake, and he put that snake up on the tree. And when that snake went up on the tree, every person that looked upon that snake experienced salvation and experienced deliverance. You see, God used the hammer, but the greatest hammer, the loudest hammer that's rang all throughout human history was the hammer that the Roman centurion used 
to nail the nails into the hands and the feet of Jesus. You see, every time that hammer came back and smashed down on the top of that nail, God was saying, I love you. Every time he raised up that hammer and he smashed another spike through the hand of Jesus, the love of God was declared and rang out through all human history. It was the hammer of the cross that destroyed principalities and powers and the works of the devil. You see, for this purpose was the Son of God revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. And it was at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my soul were rolled away. Come on, I want you to know it was the hammer that broke and destroyed principalities and powers that day. The hammer of the spirit of the word of God. It was God's word that went forth like a hammer. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, said this. He said, you can take your words and wrap them up like a wet piece of paper and throw them against the wall and they'll have no effect. But when you take the word of God and you begin to boldly proclaim it and you begin to declare God's word to your generation, it's like a cannonball blasting out of a cannon. It has the power to demolish anything that stands in its way. Let me tell you today, I've seen the power of the hammer of the word of God on the hardened hearts. It was just several years ago, a man walked into our church and said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember as we just loved him and we welcomed him to our family. And, and I, don't, you know, I don't know what was going on. He had all these intellectual reasons why there couldn't be a God and why he didn't exist. But I remember in a small group Bible study, we were reading the scripture. And this one simple verse I read on a Sunday night. For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That man went home that night, and his life was never the same. His wife called me the next day, and she said, what's wrong with my husband? Is he losing his mind? Is he going crazy? What's happening? And for four days, he was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. She said he was laying out on his stairwell, crying out to God, trying to find the God of the universe who created and made him. And when he finally surrendered, and he gave up to the power of the hammer of the word of God, his life was changed for all eternity. Someone said amen this morning. Can you put the next verse up for me? That'll help me out today. I appreciate that. The Bible says that the word of God in Jeremiah was like a fire. My word is like fire. Fire. That's powerful. That's a powerful thing. In the scriptures, we see the word equated to fire as a sense of comfort. It brings hope. The prophets declared that his word would bring comfort to the weary. The word of God comes to your life when you're weak when you're tired, when you're cold spiritually. And when you get into the Word, you find the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God comes in comforting times. It's powerful. As you begin to read the Word, and you're discouraged, and you're wondering how you're going to make it another day, the fire of God's Word comes, and it begins to warm your heart. Fire. Fire also has the ability to light. Illuminate. It illuminates our path. Psalms 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
the word of God lights our pathway. If you need wisdom today about a relationship, young woman, you're here today and you're trying to figure out who you should marry, read your Bible. Because the Bible will tell you who you should marry and who you shouldn't marry. If you're in this room today and you're trying to make a business decision about your next step, listen, so many times we operate out of the, the wisdom of man, but the Bible says that the wisdom of man is foolishness. But the wisdom that God gives that comes from his word is everlasting and brings life. You need revelation. You need insight. You need insight into how you treat your children, how you to raise your children. You can do it Dr. Spock's way or you can do it Dr. Jesus' way. You can make your choice. You see, we need revelation in every area of our life. And the Bible says that God illuminates our path and God illuminates our way. And then finally, the Bible says that God's word is like a sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. It says, for the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This word, this sword right here, is the sword of the Lord. It's your offensive weapon against the enemy. When Satan came to test, when Satan came to tempt, when Satan came to try Jesus, Jesus When Satan came to Jesus to tempt him to turn the stone into bread, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It was the sword of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks to the believer about being prepared for spiritual battle. He talks about the helmet of salvation. He talks about the shield of faith. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the loins girded about the truth. But the second last weapon in your arsenal, it is your only, only offensive weapon. It is the only way that you can defeat the enemy. There is no other way. People tried to find comfort through all kinds of things. People try to find solutions through all kinds of circumstances. This is your hope, the Word of God. It's living it's active. It's powerful. It will not only change your life, but it will change the fam your family's life. It will change generations to come from your line. Let me tell you, it has the ability to discern, to separate between soul and spirit. It has the ability to discern between good attitudes and bad attitudes. Right thoughts and wrong thoughts. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. Jesus. Bible says at the very end of time we'll come back riding a white horse and he's carrying the sword of the Lord which is the word of the Lord and finally I want to talk to you about the word of God being like bread you want some bread ready this morning we got some have you been smelling that bread in here this morning smelling the aroma of it anybody hungry yet all right well you're gonna get a chance to taste some bread here Hey, let's give Miss Linda a great big hand up here. Thank you, Linda. And is there something you have to pull out of the inside of it? No. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's good. That's good. Sorry. The other one, she had to stick. She had some kind of metal thing in there. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that proceeds from the book of God. You eat this bread. It smells wonderful. We've got another loaf of skinny of hunger. We'll pass that around in just a moment. We'll break bread together. We'll have true koinonia. But you'll eat this and you'll hunger again. You try to fix your problems with a bottle or with a pill and you'll have to do it again. You'll try to soothe that sense of love, that lack of love in your heart through some kind of relationship with a person who isn't your spouse and you'll have to do it again. You try to fix your financial problems with a credit card, you'll have to do it again. See, here's the reality today. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if any man eats of me, Symbolically, Jesus loved to illustrate messages just like this. As a matter of fact, he was at the table of the Lord. He was at the table of the Lord. He was celebrating the Passover feast with the disciples. And he said, I am, I am the bread. I am the manna that came down from heaven. Jesus is your reality today. There's a lot of people looking for reality. But I want you to know the reality of Jesus is found in his word. Today, the big idea, our big idea, the word read, the word read, the word believed, the word proclaimed, and the word practiced brings transformation to your life. It happens the other way. Jesus wants you today to know that he loves you. He loves you. And he's given you a love letter, a written revelation. I've got a few things there right at the end, just really practical. I want to talk to him just, I want to, just for a moment, I want to talk about these practical things. But I want to encourage you today. I want you to leave this place with an appetite, with a hunger for this Passover meal. I want you to leave today with a hunger and with an appetite for the Word of God. But the first thing that has to happen is you've got to shut off distractions in your life. So for some people, that means turn off your TV. That means shut off your iPhone, your iPad. That means turn off your, your cell phone. Come on. For some people, I know we read the Bible on our cell phone. I read the Bible on my iPad. But this morning... Where you must make it your priority. The first priority of your day. I've been doing this a long time, and I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good, but I'm not perfect at it. Not perfect. I get about five out of seven, sometimes six out of seven. I got Sunday because I, you know, I got prayer. I got Sunday. I got to get Sunday stuff in. But I can't do this. I can't live this life unless I'm in the Word. I just can't do it. I have bad attitudes. I got wrong thoughts. I got all kinds of problems that come my way, I would never make it unless I made a daily practice to get into the Word, to get a revelation. I try to post a little scripture every day on my Facebook page of a word that God is speaking to me. I call it your daily word. So I want you to get, you can get a daily word. You know, the man of that bread that the Israelites gathered together, it only lasted for one day. It only lasted for one day. You have to have a revelation of who Jesus is in your life every day. You need a fresh revelation. Can't they just you'll bumble along, you'll bump along, you're frustrated, you're angry all the time, all those kinds of things. The third thing is you got to ask the Holy Spirit to help you make application. To make application, not just to read it, but to become doers of the word. 
A church that's doing the word, that's living the word, will have great impact in this city. This is really practical, the last two things. Read a translation this semester. Read a translation. This old Bible that my grandparents gave me is the King James. And, you know, there's times when I can read that. There's times that I use it. I have to read a translation that I can understand. It's used in the vernacular of this church. And that's what's happening in this church. Read a Bible that you can understand. Read a Bible that you can understand. And the last thing is, is talk to other people about the scriptures. Talk to other people. Talk to your children. Come on. How do your children learn the scriptures? You teach them. You teach your children. Talk to your spouse. Go to a small group. There's all kinds of small groups. Talk to other Christians about the Bible, what the Scripture says. Something happens when you begin to talk to other people. You begin to ask questions. That word that jumps out of this book and gets inside of your heart. From the word goes into the heart. That seed of the word will bring change. I want us to stand together. We're not even going to give an altar call. Nothing like that this morning. We're just going to surrender. We're just simply going to surrender. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Can you do that? When you lift your hands towards heaven right now, can you just begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me today? What do you want me to do? Is there an area in my life that I can change? Come on, lift your hands towards heaven right now. Every one of us in this room, we have areas to grow. There's areas to grow in our hunger for the Word of God. I pray right now the Holy Spirit has done something in your heart. The Word has been like a hammer. It's created a hunger in you. Come on, let's just right now, right where you're at, right where you're at, right now this morning, let's just begin to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there an area in my life that you want me to change? Is there something that's hindering the seed of your Word from growing in my life? Is there any unforgiveness? Is there any bitterness? Holy Spirit, is there anything holding me back from your Word taking full force in my life? Come on, right now, let's just begin to worship. Word of God speak, hallelujah, Lord, I'm like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty.